You know, there are plenty of um, verses in the Bible that can cause us grief or that seem to be a little confusing. And this morning we have a cracker that should make us stop and think, what is actually being said here? I mean, read verse 9. Verse 9 says, when I find it, verse 9 says, And I tell you, make friends uh, for yourself by means of dishonest wealth. What the? And that when it is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. My goodness. What? We must stop and ask ourselves, when we read something like that in the Bible, what is being said here? Verse 9 is one for me that has caused the most concern. And to all those people who think you can just go to the Bible, pick a verse out and read it literally, this is a verse that shows you that you can't do that. You have to. Have to stop and think. Verse 9 seems to say that you can buy your way, or at the very least, buy friends. Well, you'd be happy to know that I don't think that that is what it's saying at all. And there are a number of reasons, and also quite a lot, to learn from these passages. The first thing we need to understand, though, is that in Jewish culture it was forbidden to lend money and charge interest. But, as many things in Jewish culture, they have had, of course, a way around it. The easiest way uh, to do that was to lend in kind. Lend not money, but something else. And, of course, one of the best commodities in those days was, of course, oil and wheat. And it is easy to see that maybe, just maybe, the master in the story had obviously been doing something dodgy. Many of you know that before I came into full-time paid ministry, I worked for a bank. One of the reasons I left was I felt that they were more focused on profit and creating wealth than they were in the loss of loyalty to their staff and their customers. And yes, while I was there, I was well aware of deals that were being done that I didn't think were 100% kosher. And I can honestly say that I refused to do the, write those deals, to write those transactions, uh, no matter how much grief I got from senior management. I never wrote one of these deals because I didn't believe in them. I didn't think they were sound. I didn't think they were honest. I didn't think that they weren't driven by greed. But plenty of my colleagues did. And it's funny that when these, when these deals went bad, the same senior management that were, was pushing to write them hung the managers out to dry. In the end, the bank was lucky to even get back its principal, never mind thinking about the interest. I'm sure many of you 
if not all of us, have borrowed money, unless, unless we have some sort of benevolent parent or some benevolent funder in our lives. We borrow from institutions that lend the money on the basis that interest will be charged against the borrowing. Therefore, your repayments need to cover both principal and interest. Pretty straightforward. In our story, many, com many commentators think that the steward, when chasing up the payments of wheat and oil on each bill, deducted the interest the master had been charging. Obviously, when you read, the, when you read that passage, there must have been a higher interest rate on oil than there was on wheat. 50% interest rate as opposed to something like 20%. You think about it. I'm sure we all would have liked our friendly bank manager to ring up and say that he's decided that we don't need to pay interest. Just pay back the principal. Well, you're never going to get that phone call. <laughs> no matter how much you pray, I don't think you'll ever get that phone call. <laughs> but in our reading, the master would have been unable to make any accusation against the steward without outing himself for his own dodgy dealings. And the master, of course, being a slick businessman, when he hears what the steward has done, can only be impressed with his business acumen. But there is, of course, a bigger meaning in this parable. As we should know by now, Luke has a big picture that he is painting around Jesus' teachings. Remember, it is a parable. It is not a piece of moral teaching, which has caused many to think that Jesus is encouraging shrewd business practice or moral teachings about money and how to or not to use it. No, like many other first century Jewish stories, we have to realise something about the steward and the master and understand who they represent in the parable. Well, we should know by now, the master, of course, is God and the steward is Israel. Israel is supposed to be God's property manager. Remember, they were to be the light to the world, responsible to God for caring for his possessions. But as we see time and time again in the gospel, they failed at the task. In fact, when we read the gospel, you can get this sense that they are under threat of immediate dismissal. So it raises the question, what should Israel do? Well, our friends the Pharisees had a good answer. They simply, simply, the answer was to be, make things harder. Pull in the regulations of the law. Make it tighter. Try and make Israel even more holy. And this was, as we have seen time and time again, had the effect of excluding non-Jewish people. The very nations that they were supposed to attract, the same people Jesus is now reaching out to. 
what I think that Jesus is saying is that Israel is facing an immediate crisis. And rather than make more laws and try and be more holy, they should throw caution to the wind. Jesus is saying, forget about all the extra bits and pieces of the law that the Pharisees have been making tighter and tighter and make friends as and where you can. That is what is meant by the phrase of children of this world would do. What would the children of this world do? And the children of light, that is the Israelites, ought to do the same. Jesus is saying to them, learn from the cunning people of the world how to cope in crisis that was coming upon that generation. Jesus is advising advice then about hoarding money and land makes sense. Use it, he's saying, use it as far as you can to make friends. A crisis was on the way and the people of Israel may have to look at alternative homes. Homes that would last may be needed. Jesus is not saying eternal homes in the sense of their eternity, but homes different to what they are currently living. So this parable, like so many that Jesus told, had a direct and clear message to the original hearers. It was very specific to their particular situation. But there is also an eternal teaching in Jesus' parable that should, and in my thinking, speak to us today. Firstly, I want to make it, I want to make it clear of what it's not. I've heard so many sermons in the past that anything to do with instructions or recommendations to Christians about how they should and shouldn't conduct their business and personal finance. And it really has nothing to do with whether or not Christians should charge interest or should pay interest. One of the things that I, when I was growing up, seemed to be this passage seemed to be around all the time. We shouldn't borrow money, we shouldn't do this, and we shouldn't... More regulations. Rather, it is saying today, sit lightly on the extra regulations that we might impose on each other and those that come to our church, which are over and above the simple message of the gospel itself. As a church... We, and of course the wider church, need to constantly reassess the things that matter and those that we have developed to make church palatable to ourselves. It is not that long ago that churches like us here in Borwin were full of people. However, today it is, far, it is fair to say that in Melbourne and other parts of the Western world, the church attendance is on the decline. And it's not just Anglican churches, but many other denominations. There are a lot of factors to this. We are far more mobile. We travel more. We are wealthier. We have holidays and holiday homes. There are far more other things competing for our time on a Sunday 
Long gone are the days when there was no sport, no shopping, nothing else to do on Sunday but go to church. However, in third world countries, new churches are both growing and spreading. So it raises the question, what must we do? How are we to be shrewd managers of the things that God has given us? What must the traditional churches do when they are faced with their own morality? Well, maybe we need to be like the steward and start thinking a little bit more unconventional. Now, don't get me wrong. I haven't got a long list of things here. I'm going to give you all the answers. I haven't... In fact, I haven't even got a clearly defined answer in my head of what that looks like. But perhaps we should learn to and start thinking just a little bit more unconventionally. Maybe we need to be prepared to make new friends across traditional barriers. Would we be brave enough to throw caution to the wind and discover again in the true fellowship of the gospel a home that will last. Do we have that courage? Are we prepared? Do we trust God enough? Well, it's a challenge. It's always a challenge. But I think this passage this morning is clearly challenging the church then and the church today, and leadership of the churches, and leadership of the Anglican church. We need to get rid of some of the rules that exclude people and develop rules that are more inclusive. That's what the gospel is. Amen.